Welcome back to another episode of LSHTM Viral. My name is Naomi, and today we're speaking with qualitative and archival researcher Leoba Hirsch about Black, Asian, and minority ethnic experiences with healthcare, especially during COVID-19. Leoba joined LSHTM in November last year to work on a new project exploring our school's colonial past and legacy, and how this continues to structure life and work at the school. Welcome, Leoba. To start with, can you tell us a little bit about your research on the colonial history of LSHTM? I was hired to look at LSHTM's colonial history. Um, in principle, that means that I work with LSHTM archives and the Center for History and Public Health to look at um, the archival materials that we have um, on LSHTM's involvement in British colonialism or colonialism more broadly. And the period that I'm looking at is 1899, which is when the school was founded, up to 1960, which is sort of broadly been defined as the end of colonialism. Although I guess it's like a slightly contentious definition. But I'm looking at different topics within that sort of broader research question. Um, I'm looking at funding, at staff and students, where staff and students came from. Um, I'm looking at the LSHGM's involvement with the colonial office. Um, especially at the moment when it was founded. And Patrick Manson, the founder of the school, played a very important role in that. He was also chief medical advisor to the colonial office. So I'm looking at all of these relations between colonialism and LSHGM and how they played out historically. Now, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you walk us through some of the healthcare challenges being faced by Black, Asian and minority ethnic people in the UK in these times? First of all, it's important to say that the challenges that they're facing are the same challenges that all of us are facing in the sense that we're all affected by this pandemic. I think it's also important to say that as much as I can try and, and summarize some of the challenges that they're facing, it's also important to note that obviously the different communities in and of themselves are incredibly diverse. And so every experience is unique. Something that we can say, though, is that a lot of the structural challenges that um, the AME communities faced before the pandemic and that they faced in the UK and in other countries for a really long time have been worsened and amplified by the pandemic in the UK. One of the very obvious things is that people with BAME backgrounds are more likely to be in precarious employment, they're more likely to have fixed-term contracts, they're more likely to work in positions where they can't work from home, so can't isolate themselves or can't shield themselves or their family members necessarily, as most of us have been asked to do and, and as most of us are trying to do protect, to protect our own health and that of our friends, family and communities. So I think that's just one specific example in which that community is particularly affected. There are also a lot of different ways in which racism and health and healthcare have intersected again historically and today and I think those things are coming out more and more clearly now. I think one of the things is just trust in healthcare systems and in institutions. I remember at the beginning, sort of at the beginning of the of the pandemic in the UK, there was one case in London of a black woman um, who called an ambulance or I think her husband called an ambulance for her because she was having difficulty breathing and they suspected that she had COVID and the ambulance came and assessed her and said that it looked okay and that if her condition worsened they should call them back and she died 
and I'm not telling that anecdote to sort of put blame to first responders or to the ambulance service, not at all. But I think, again, there are a lot of questions that we need to ask ourselves about how health has traditionally responded and continues to respond nowadays to the AME communities. So why do we see these trends in healthcare systems in the UK? I think an important thing to understand is that they're not really trends. I think it's a structure. Health and medicine and racism have always intersected in various ways. And I mean, from my own research, I can definitely say that that was the case with British colonialism and the way that healthcare systems were built in the colonies. They also always involved or or were built on racist systems. I think that is something that while we're aware of that when it comes to British colonies, that's not something that we usually acknowledge in the case of the UK. It's really important to understand and remember that black and brown communities in the UK have for a long time displayed worse health outcomes than their white counterparts. That, again, as I mentioned earlier, that there's a big issue around trust in biomedical interventions. There's a lot to be said about people's immigration status, especially in the wake of, of the Windrush scandal, with the NHS being asked to sort of act, act as a border agent or and, and police people's immigration status. So I think they're like all of these trends that were there before and that because of COVID-19 being worsened and that are coming out more clearly for those of us who weren't affected by them before. I think it's important to not think about this as a trend, but as something that has been there for a really long time and that we're only paying attention to now. Can you walk me through what racism in healthcare systems looks like? How would that manifest itself in healthcare access or delivery? How would we see it? In the UK and in the US, black women die off childbirth or shortly after childbirth disproportionately. So that's a very, very clear example in how black people are affected or I guess in how health systems don't cater to all people in the same way. And that's again, not something that is done willfully, but I think there is something around how we think of different communities, how we, whether we take their suffering seriously. There are also studies that show that healthcare staff don't take black people's pain as seriously. So they usually assess them to be lower than they actually are. And again, I think the history of medicine and its interactions with black communities especially has led to a situation in which a lot of people don't trust the system anymore. I think those are yeah, two very concrete examples. One is that um, black women disproportionately die of, of childbirth in the UK and in the US. And the other one is that black pain isn't, isn't being taken as seriously as that of white patients. Would you say the major issue then is before we even get to the healthcare system, that the issues of racism and inequality and discrimination are in our society and our socioeconomic structures before we even get to the delivery of healthcare? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's true. And I think one of the issues is that because we work in health, we, I think, have a tendency and rightfully so to see health as a force for good. And I think it can be that and medicine can be that as well. And ideally, that is what it is and what it does. But I think there are a lot of subtle or even not so subtle ways in which 
medicine amplifies inequalities that exist in society already and that very often work along racist lines. And as long as we don't acknowledge that, we can't address it. Listening to what you're saying, I am curious as well, what about a bias in the evidence base for healthcare systems, for instance, genomic research that doesn't include Black, Asian, and minority ethnic people? It's not only something that affects the BAME community. I think I was reading something recently about how traditionally um, clinical studies or, or a lot of medication was only tested on men. And so the fact that women weren't being recruited for clinical studies obviously had an impact on how um, that medication would then affect them and would affect women's health more generally. And the same can be said for the recruitment of BAME populations into clinical trials. Because of those practices, the science that we get out of that is obviously biased or is, even if it isn't biased, it's skewed in a particular direction and health today continues to have a white male body as like the normative gauge of what a healthy body is and, and should look like. So bringing it back to COVID-19, some other researchers at LSHTM have published research on healthcare inequalities faced by Black, Asian and minority ethnic people in the UK during the pandemic. How does this compare internationally? Are we seeing things like this elsewhere? A lot of the things that I I know or read or hear of are anecdotal, but it's really interesting to compare the UK to the US and to Brazil and actually also to Sweden. So if maybe I can just talk about those thoughts. It's been quite prevalent in the media as well, discussions around race and COVID-19 in the US, where again, BAME communities are disproportionately affected and their mortality rate is much higher. So I think that is quite similar to the UK case. I think Brazil is a, is a very, very worrying COVID story, and I think we'll only really be able to assess and reflect on, on what's happening in Brazil in maybe a few years or months, once we sort of know full extent of, of what happens there. But again, Black people in Brazil are disproportionately dying of COVID-19. Those three examples are really interesting because, again, the presence of Black and Asian populations in those countries is always linked to colonialism and in the case of Brazil and the US also to obviously the transatlantic slave trade. So socioeconomic vulnerabilities sort of persist and, and have a direct effect on, on people's health vulnerabilities today. Another really interesting example, I think, is Sweden, which had a similar approach to the UK in terms of herd immunity at the beginning of the outbreak and, and stuck with it for quite a long time as well. The burden in terms of mortality is to a disproportionate degree being born by black and brown people. The past couple of weeks, in addition to understanding how black, Asian and minority ethnic people are facing inequalities during COVID-19, we also have the movements of Black Lives Matter and the worldwide response to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death in the US. So what can the global health community do to tackle systemic racism that prevents everyone from accessing the same quality of care? I mean, that's a big question. I'm not sure um, to which extent I'm qualified to answer that. But I think a few things. I think one really important thing, and in a way, like at LSHM, we're, we're quite well placed to tackle that. I think a really important thing is education. Going back to what I said earlier, I think we need to start teaching medicine as a subject that has political and sociological effects. 
and as something that is not immune to racism. Something that we're seeing now quite often is that we're looking at, at, at racism as a public health crisis and as something that we can address through public health. And I think to a certain extent that's true, but again, I think there needs to be a lot of introspection in, by public health institutions and schools and agents to look at, okay, how have we potentially participated in this or, or how have our institutions contributed to or benefited from racism uh, more broadly? And I think a lot, of those, a lot of those effects aren't necessarily direct and they may be subtle, but I think as long as we don't address them, public health instruments will continue to struggle to engage affected communities. And I mean, in this case, the BAME community or communities rather. And that's something that needs to change because as long as we don't do that, health inequalities are going to persist. So LSHTM has received quite a lot of statements from students, staff and alumni in their experiences of racism in the past few weeks as well and have published an action plan of how we can move forward on addressing these inequalities. This includes your research project, which looks into the colonial history of LSHTM and the impact of that legacy. Can you tell us about some of your findings so far? Before the lockdown, I had just finished working through archival materials up until the 1950s, roughly. I think what's really interesting is that LSHTM at the moment of its foundation, so in 1899 and the early 20th century, was built and conceived as a school that would cater to the British Empire, as a school that would participate in the education of colonial medical officers who would then go out into the various parts of the British Empire and administer health there. And I think a very important point, and that's not something that's come out of my research, but something that's known in in histories of colonial medicine more broadly, is that very often those colonial officers or the, I guess, institutions that formed them did that to ensure the good health of colonial officers and white British populations overseas much more than the local populations that they were colonizing. And so that's very much the case of LSHGM when it's being founded, but then that changes increasingly over the years with the expansion of the school and then especially with the integration of public health between 1899 and 1924. It was just the London School of Tropical Medicine. And then in 1924 or 27, I'm not 100% sure now, the school got a lot of money from the Rockefeller Foundation to expand into public health. And the school profile changed a little bit because of that. I think another thing that's really interesting is that LSHGM student body from almost the very beginning was actually, I wouldn't say quite diverse, but there were always people um, from the different colonies and from other countries that would come to study at LSHGM, often to then work for their governments back home. But there were also a lot of missionaries who came to LSHGM who would then go out to China and other places. I think there's something interesting to be said around religion and, and medicine and colonialism as well. And in your research, have you looked into how that history informs where LSHTM is today? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about LSHTM's colonial history is that, to me, it's really out there. Um, But I guess that's because I I engage with it so much and on so many levels. But I think for a lot of people, it's actually not that obvious. 
And so one of the reasons why the school decided to invest in the colonial history project is to like actually understand the extent of LSHGM's colonial history and then be better able to engage with that and, and figure out how it shapes teaching and research today. So my background is, is in health geographies, so I, I guess I'm always interested in, in spatial matters. But one of the things that strikes me is that the geographies of LSHGM's research in the 20th century and today are not that different. So we're still a school whose geographical research dynamics haven't really changed in the sense that we're predominantly based in the UK, in London, but then conduct research in um, Asia and in Africa predominantly. And that was the case in the 1920s and 50s and 60s, and that's still the case today. There's some interesting discussions that we need to have in terms of research partnerships and just the, the power relations that pervade global health in terms of their colonial legacy and, and where, we, where we see ourselves in those and, and how we want to deal with those going forward. So still plenty of learning to do. If you had one takeaway message from your research through the perspective of seeing Black, Asian, and minority ethnic people still being disenfranchised in the healthcare system as we see in COVID-19, what would that be? The most important thing that all of us can do is, and this isn't even something that's, that, that's exclusive to LSHGM or, or exclusive to public health, but I think something that's becoming that we're seeing now is becoming increasingly important is that we need to learn to listen and we need to learn to listen to the experiences and stories of black asian minority ethnic students and staff but especially communities and patients and people we engage with in research and i think we need to do that because only that is going to allow us to learn how public health and medicine are perceived by those people and that medicine is not an objective science really and I think only if we understand that will we be able to make it more inclusive and to work towards health justice for all of us and I think that's a goal that LSHGM has worked towards or wants to work towards anyways but I think maybe we need to just readjust how we think about that a little bit. Thank you Leoba and thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of LSHGM Viral. To read LSHTM's recent statement and action plan on addressing inequalities, please visit lshtm.ac.uk. The team behind LSHTM Viral is also working to make our podcasts more accessible and are making transcripts of previous episodes available online. Please visit lshtm.ac.uk forward slash podcasts to view these.